you're busy living so busy living so busy living so It's episode 161, and I'm so excited that I have Holly Wilson on. Hi, Holly. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing in all this crazy world we're living in these days? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm very grateful that I have my recovery and I know how to live one day at a time because it is getting me through. I'll tell you that much. Oh, I agree with you 110%. So I'm so excited to hear your story. I've read about you and I, I feel like we have so many similarities in our story. So will you tell us what it was like, what happened and what it's like today? I'm sorry. I lost that for a second. Can you repeat that? I said, is there any way you could tell us what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, what it was like, uh, it was very confusing. I grew up, I was a super perfectionist, uh, wanted to be in control of just about as many things as I possibly could, um, you know, had a really hard time managing with any type of stress, and, you know, I think for me, I just hit a certain point where uh, no matter what came across my plate, I wasn't really equipped to handle it. And to me, once I found alcohol, uh, that was it. That was the solution I'd been waiting for. Uh, you know, it happened a little bit later for me in college uh, that I really took off with my drinking once I got away from home. Uh, and then that became my solution for just about every problem that I faced. And uh, it really was when my stepbrother passed away unexpectedly uh, back in 2008 that I turned to alcohol to cope with that situation and from that point on became a daily drinker. Uh, every every issue, every disturbance, alcohol was right there for me. And the problem is, is as they say, once a, a cucumber becomes pickled. It can't be unpickled. So I think I passed that point and uh, just needed to drink every day. And, you know, I personally am what people might refer to as a high bottom drunk. I didn't have any major life consequences. I certainly had a ton of unmanageability in my life, uh, but I still had my job. I didn't have any legal issues. I just, you know, one day I think I just kind of had a spiritual awakening of like, you know, this keeps getting worse. Um, drugs started coming in the picture pretty frequently on top of the drinking. And I said, you know what, I'm just not going to stop. And this isn't the life that I wanted to live or planned. And uh, so what happened is I, I knew a friend from growing up who had gotten sober and was in a 12 step program and uh, actually worked in the field of recovery. So I reached out to her cause she, you know, had always been there for me, never judged me, even though I knew that she could recognize my drinking issues. And, uh, and so I reached out to her and what she did is she, like anybody that I've experienced in the rooms, uh, dropped everything to help me. I got into treatment and, uh, just started taking all the suggestions. I had that gift of desperation and let everybody tell me what to do. And, you know, one day at a time, things just got better and better. And, I hadn't gone to treatment with the expectation of quitting drinking uh, for any long-term commitment, but things were just so good that I wanted to keep it going. And, you know, fast forward, life just keeps getting better. Sometimes there are, of course, setbacks and challenges, but overall, 
Um, I have the skills now and the tools to get through life in the way that I feel good about and to achieve my goals today. And I get that from my recovery. Are you there? Yes. Sorry. Did I, did I lose you? No. <laughs> no, I, it just went out and I'm like, hello. So you uh-huh. the tools you're using to have your recovery today. And here you are. So do you have 10 years now? Uh, no, I, yeah, I have eight and some change. Uh, my Friday is June 6, 2011. Oh my gosh. That is so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I'm thrilled. And like I said, it's just, it's night and day difference today. You know, I think what I learned in recovery has helped me to, you know, parent better. Uh, it gave me the courage to start my own business. I think when I, what I was able to learn from getting sober was just that I could pretty much do anything that I wanted as long as I put my mind to it and started chipping away a little bit at a time. And you're a mom. I you're am a mom. mom too, just like me. And you're yeah. in, in, and how old's your little boy? Um, he'll be five on May 3rd. Oh my gosh. That is so awesome. So being a mom and being sober is so much easier, isn't it? Well, I am fortunate for me that I don't have the experience of being a mom not sober, but I cannot even begin to fathom what a struggle that would have been for me. Oh, it was it was tough for me because my kids were little when I came in. You know, my mm. my oldest was ten, so it has been. You know, it was um it was a challenge when they were little and getting through life. And I saw that you um that you helped that I saw in one of the articles I think that you that somebody did on you that you really like to help other moms that are out there battling this disease. Oh yeah, I mean I I feel like that. Being a mom is one of the main obstacles that prevents women from seeking treatment because they're so focused on taking care of other people. And I think society really conditions us as women to be others focused. And it's hard for us to, to think I got to put myself first, you know, the old, you got to put your own oxygen mask on if a plane's going down before you could put your kids on. It's something I frequently have to remind mothers because if we're not taking care of ourselves, how can we be expected to take care of anybody else, especially when we're fueling it with alcohol? Oh, it's just, it would have been crazy. It's like adding gasoline to a fire that's already there. But I love what you just said. You know, busy living sober is all about getting busy living in the solution rather than living in the problems anymore. Yes, that's awesome. That's what it's all about. I mean, it, when we, it says in the big book, you know, we focus on the problem, the problem increases. And when we focus on the solution, the solution increases. And it is, and in today's, and what's going on to, in today's world, I love when we started off the conversation, I asked you how you were doing, and you said it's one day at a time. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like, as being an alcoholic, you've been, I mean, we've been living with a deadly disease that we can't see for the whole time, Right. I mean, it's, right. it, it's all over the place and we can't, I mean, we have to fight it every single solitary day. And what are some of the tools that you use on a daily basis that you would like to share with some people that are listening that help you, that would help somebody that's feeling out of control and maybe at their wits end and they're like, I don't know what to do. This is just, it's too much. And how did you even get, how did you even finally decide to surrender? And you said you had your spiritual awakening and how would you describe that spiritual awakening? 
Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to describe, but for a lot of people, it feels pretty anticlimactic because I'm just like, yeah, I just, you know, didn't really have any crazy thing. You hear a lot of crazy stories once you get sober from other people. But, uh, you know, for me, I, I mean, I was at the end of a, a bender. I had, you know, stayed up for a couple of days and was kind of just saying yes to anything that anybody passed at me. And, you know, I was supposed to moved to New York that week from LA permanently. I had been living from coast to coast in between. And so I, I'm not sure what it was except more of like finally having an honest appraisal of myself for the first time in years. I think that's something we do really well when we're in our addiction is we're able to live in that denial and not really take an honest look at ourselves and, and be able to honestly evaluate what we're doing. And I mean, there is brain science behind that. If we want to get all nerdy, I'm happy to do that, but we we can't really, we're cut off from that ability to see ourselves clearly. And I think I just had that all of a sudden moment of clarity where it all caught up to me to be able to see that I wasn't, I had somehow wound up in my life that was not the life that I had wanted to live or planned to live. And I wasn't feeling fulfilled on any level. I was just trying to get by. And I think for me at that time, the way I was coping with alcohol was the best that I knew how to do. But I I was able to recognize that it wasn't working for me anymore because I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. And I felt like, you know, I had an outside voice. It's, it felt like at that time, say, God wants more for you in your life than this. And it was like, I don't know what it was about that particular moment, but I just, I believed it. I was like, yeah, I, I want more. And I think I deserve more. And, you know, I think I learned, I, that gave me the ability to be open and start listening to other people and take suggestions and, you know, the things that I do today are the same things that I did from the start, you know, and I don't always do it. I mean, I, I get busy, life gets crazy. And I notice myself, you know, not feeling very good. I start to feel that restless, irritable, discontent feeling start to creep back in. But I know that all I have to do is go back to the basics. It's the same thing every day. You know, I wake up, I pray, I express gratitude for the place that I'm in in my life. Um, I love the the daily devotionals. I I'm not sure if you love those, but I'm kind of like I like I love to check in with those every day and be reminded of the fundamentals of recovery. And um, meditation is also something that is essential for me because that is the the training camp for being able to stay present in the moment. Because for me, everything is always okay in the present. It's when I start getting you know, into the past or into the future that really the anxiety creeps in for me. So to be reminded and to make that practice of staying in the present moment where everything is wonderful right now for me, um, helps me, especially in these times, I think when it's like, how long are we going to be here? You know, if, if only they had handled it better, we couldn't, you know, and it's like, that's the stuff that puts me at disease. That's the stuff that really messes me up. So to just stay in this moment and practice gratitude. Um, also, there are so many online meetings right now. It is a great time for people to check those out if they never have, because 
I mean, I was sitting in a meeting the other day with people from like Ireland and London. And I mean, it was so cool to be able to have that opportunity. Um, and they have these meetings all the time as well. But I think that there's just such good recovery. Um, because, you know, even my, my own group that I attend here locally in person, they're doing online meetings and there's just no no excuse that I normally could have of like, oh, it's been a long day or, you know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm making it to probably more meetings than ever. So that has also been super awesome. Um, and then of course my community, my people in recovery, my sponsor, I check in with her on a regular basis. Um, my peers, those are all the things that I'm doing. And, you know, when I focus on all that and all the support that I have and all the great tools and I just, get blown away with the amount of gratitude I have that these are my problems today, you know, having to stay at home in my beautiful house. It's really, you know, I, I love that you just pointed out because I have a lot of people that listen to the podcast that have, you know, they're all like maybe thinking, do I have a problem? Maybe I have a problem. What am I going to do? And the zoom meetings that are out there and that are available today are really an easy way for someone that maybe doesn't know and they don't have to take that first step into a church basement or wherever a meeting may be and run into neighbors and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's huge because so many people are fearful of doing, and I know for me, when I had to walk into my first meeting, I didn't go to, uh, I didn't go to a rehab. I have three kids, so nobody would take my three kids. So it was like, all right, we've got to get sober at home. How are you going to do it? And so I went straight to the rooms and used 12 step programs, the 12 step program for myself. And I was so, I can still remember 13 and a half years later, you know, walking into that church thinking, this is the scariest thing I've ever done. I mean, this is scarier Mm -hmm. than walking down the aisle and saying yes to somebody, you know, (laughs) I'm going to be married to you for the rest of my life. I was like, I'm going to walk into this church basement and see all these people and admit my biggest problem. Right. In front of all these complete strangers. I mean, it's terrifying. And with the online meeting, um, for many of them, especially if you just go to general ones like in the rooms, there's a website in the room, you can make it so nobody can even see or hear you. So you can just kind of listen in and start listening for things. And what I always recommend for people if they're just going in to check it out for the first time is that you just try to listen for the similarities. And it's cool because at home you can even sit and write it down. Like just write down at whatever you can relate to. And if you can't relate to something, you know, just, just leave it, just forget about it. Let it fly through out of your other ear. And just, if you get two or three things in a meeting that you can connect with and you can relate to, then that meeting was worth it. And you just were able to practice a really great mindfulness skill of getting present in that moment and focusing on something else with, which sober or not sober is really Uh, helpful for anxiety to just get out and change what you're doing and stay focused on one thing. So I do, I think it's awesome. And I love your point, you know, having, having kids is usually one of the primary barriers for women to seek treatment. So this is a great way to take things off the table. You can do it at night after your kids are sleeping, if that's easier, or during nap time, if you have younger kids, you know, homework time, you can do this for you. And the good news is you can even step out if you have to, and nobody's even going to notice that you left the room. So I I think it's a great time to just get curious. 
I love that. I love what you just said about writing something down that you relate to because, you know, sometimes we tend to go and go, oh my, I know, especially if you're walking into a room where you're actually present with hum- other human beings and you're not in the Zoom room, but, or a virtual room, you go in and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so different than that person. I'm so different than that person. But this gives us the opportunity to be like, well, guess what? I don't even know who any of these people are. We're just looking at computer screens anyway. I love that. And I just think it's such a great connection too, because, you know, when I was in that room and there are people from other countries, there's this, you know, old 65 year old missing some teeth from Vermont. And then there's this cute little number from Atlanta who comes on the screen. And I'm like, what kind of place do you get to go with all these people from different ages and backgrounds and cultures? And we have this thing in common that we can relate and that we're all here to, to try to get support and give support to one another in this time. And I always just love it. I think it's so cool that I can connect with people who are so incredibly different from me. It's so, it is, um, you know, when, you know, people say it's Yale to jail and it doesn't discriminate kind of like this COVID-19, right? It doesn't discriminate. I mean, the first people we heard that had it were kind of, you know, celebrities like Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. You know, those were our first two people we heard that had it. And we're like, wait a minute, we don't even know these people. And then now it's the same thing with our disease of alcoholism. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you live, what neighborhood, how much money you have in the bank. We all are fighting the same disease, and it's so much easier when you have somebody else that you can relate to. Yeah, absolutely, and I think a lot of what we've been touching on is perspective, and I know that that's something my sponsor always said to me is, you know, we have a disease of perspective, a disease of perception, and a lot of the things that we're talking about, it's we can choose how we want to look at these things, you know, we can go in and same with the virus, you know, we can say, oh, they're different from me. Oh, this doesn't affect me. Oh, you know, or look at what all these people are doing out there and it's keeping me having to be at home or whatever. But all those choices of how we want to look at something and the lens that we're choosing to to interpret life is what's going to lead to how we feel on the inside. So if I want to look at all those differences, if I want to otherize, sure, I'll stay separate but then I won't have that connection. I'm not going to have that feeling that I, I want to feel in, inside, which is comfortable in my own skin, which is, you know, love and, and healing and connection and goodness and happiness. And so if I choose to look at things in a different way, like focusing on the solution, focusing on how we're similar, focusing on, you know, all the good that's coming out of this tough time right now, then that's going to translate into how I feel on the inside. And that's what gives me the gratitude and the happiness and the feeling of love and solidarity that I feel. And that's what, and is, at the end of the day, makes a difference in how we're going to ride out this tough time right now. Right. And I find that, um, you know, so many people that have, you know, this is like the perfect scenario for someone that's an alcoholic because we like to isolate and this has given us the opportunity just to sit at home and isolate. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think there, um, you know, I actually know because, you know, we have a substance abuse treatment center, um, but that there are a lot of people having a really tough time right now. And including, you know, we have had people reaching out to us who I know have been sober for quite some time just saying, I'm really struggling because this is a trigger for me to be isolated like this. 
you know, particularly for people who live at home alone or live at home in, you know, difficult relationships, they feel like uh, a lot of the skills that they have built have been relying on outside things like meetings, you know, going to the gym, getting out there, socializing with their peers, connecting. And so to have this kind of forced isolation, I know I've been hearing from a lot of people is tough. Um, for early recovery people, it's triggering for people who are not in recovery. You know, it's the best that they know how to do is to kind of drink those feelings away. And what a perfect excuse. I mean, in my addiction, I would have been like, yes, I don't have to drive anywhere. This is great. I'm just going to be drunk all day. And, you know, and uh, whatever works, you know, m the most important thing is that people are safe. But if you're finding that that's not helpful, there are solutions out there. There are ways to connect. There are other coping skills. I mean, there are apps that you can do all day just to say, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable in my own skin. What I know how to do is take a drink. Can I do something else today? What are the other things? And for, you know, our clients, they have a whole list. We give every client a playbook of all these different coping skills that they practice in their time with us and they get to leave with that. And when they reach out to us, which is a skill, just reaching out and saying, Hey, I'm struggling right now. That is a skill in and of itself to reach out to somebody else. Oh. And then we can go through and say, have you tried this exercise? Have you tried to do some mindfulness? Have you phoned a friend? Have you gone to a meeting? There are lots of things that people can do and that don't involve drinking, but it might be very tempting to go back there. And be okay with yourself and just take it one minute at a time. And as you said, like the phone, for some of us, it seems like it weighs 10 billion tons, right? It's like the <laughs> last thing you're going to do is pick up that thing that's really heavy, the phone. Right. Well, it's like, it's tough because I know for me, I get really prideful and I don't want to always tell people when I'm struggling because I just want people to have this perception of me. Like I'm really strong. Like I have it all together. I have it figured out. I don't need anyone, but that's the same stuff that kept me reliant on alcohol. And so today when I notice myself having those types of old thoughts in my head, that's exactly when I know I'm not letting this go for one more second. If I'm feeling like I'm reluctant to call somebody like my sponsor or another one of my peers, that means I have to do it right this second. And I just get it done. And you get it done and you feel so much better because then you know that it's, you're not alone because all of us, I mean, everyone, I think walking on this planet has a little bit of fear over what's going on, right? It's fearful. And when you can talk about somebody about, oh my gosh, I feel a little scared. I mean, I know I went into the grocery store and it felt uncomfortable, right? I hated seeing everybody in the masks and everything. It felt like I was in a movie. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that just brings me back. That was the first thing with my first sponsor that she ever said to me that really like hit me in the fields. You know, she said, with, you know, with this program, with recovery, you never have to drink again, but more importantly, you never have to be alone again. And I can get to that place because I know my disease wants me alone. My disease wants me to stay separated. So I can convince myself real quick that I don't need anybody. But when I notice those thoughts creeping in, what I have today is a healthy distrust of that thought process. And so I know, you know, sometimes it's really uncomfortable for me, but like you said, once I do it, I feel so much better because I'm not carrying this burden around this little nagging on the back of my mind of like, you know, 
you don't need anybody, this little voice, because the more I leave it alone, the louder it gets. So as soon as I hear it start cropping up and, and start speaking those lies to me, that's when I'm like, okay, opposite action. I'm leaning into the things that I might not really want to do because I know that that's what's best for me. I agree with you 100%. It is like the last thing you want to do is what you should be doing, right? Yeah, a lot of the time. I think that's part of our disease. And so it's like, at least I know now. I know I know what those red flags are. And I, the more I pay attention to them, the, more it, the easier it is to recognize them. So to, if I have any kind of a question or a doubt, I reach out. And that's it. And like you said, I'm always glad that I did. Connection always makes me feel better. Even though I think at, I think a lot of my personality is kind of a lone wolf type personality. I'm used to being independent. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm a strong woman and I don't need no man. I don't need anybody, you know, but it's, it's always makes me feel better once I reach out and connect and can talk to somebody else who understands the way my mind works. And I have one, another question I want to ask you, what are, how did you deal with the God part of, you know, the 12 step program? Cause a lot of people shy away and are like, it's a religion, it's a cult. And what do you think, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like any religion, sometimes it's the people that gets in the way. So I just, I, when I got sober, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to scrap everything that I know because I did grow up with some church background and whatever. I said, yeah, I'm just going to start from square one. No God is in the picture, right? And I'm going to build the higher power as I understand my higher power, whatever that is. And I'm going to start with what I know is true in my heart, what I feel is true. And then gradually, I'm just going to stay open-minded and that whatever I hear that I'm like, huh, that, that feels like it's true for me. I'm going to take that piece and I'm going to put it into my higher power concept. And so I heard so many great things in early recovery. One of my favorites was um, this old timer in a meeting I went to and he said, I don't know about all this God business, but I do like the great American or the native American idea of great spirit and the star Wars concept of the force. And I was like, yes, I love that. And I think we can get so caught up on, you know, preconceived notions of quote unquote God and what we heard from church and what other people think and what religious people do, you know? And so I guess for me, it was important to, build my own conception and I do call my higher power God I don't think it's like a beard man in the sky that says you get this or you get that it is much more like the force and there's balance and everyone's connected to it and we're all connected to each other and you know I think for anybody it's just important to find out what works for you um and that like I said in the beginning you know it's easy to get to hear something and say uh nope I'm turned off this doesn't work for me because of something that somebody can say. But my advice would be if you hear something that you don't drive with, if you don't think that it's true for you, just go ahead and leave that there and just take what does work for you. I love that. Like take what you need and leave the rest, right? Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, I have to say with the Zoom meeting, I have to go back to the meeting thing because I love it. And I'm going to actually put uh, on here, um, I started a meeting that I, every morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's people from all over the world. 
And then yesterday, I have to just share this. I went to a meeting. There were 900 people there. It, it was based in Las Vegas. <laughs> it was crazy. Wow. It was awesome. It was awesome. Because, you know, that isolation, I think that that's like the key. And I love the fact that people can go and listen right now and they don't have to have their picture up. They don't have to have anything up. They can just say iPhone or whatever they're on, whatever device, mm-hmm. the Galaxy, whatever it is. And it just says that and they don't, they can be a voyeur, right? and not, not to use that in a bad connotation, but of what life is like living a life that's, you know, that's about spirituality and not about a spirit, which is alcohol and drugs. That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, and part of my story was that I actually, two years before I ended up getting sober, I went to a 12 step meeting. And when I went there, the meeting was full of war stories. Like these people were so over the top and their stories were so horrific that I left that meeting and I was like, Oh man, I clearly, I don't have a problem with alcohol because those people are crazy. So I think I'm good. And, you know, I would just caution people to that because people are not the program. You know, the program is the program working the steps with a sponsor. That's the program. The fellowship is so you can go and hear things that you can relate to and have that connection and community. But when you look into the you know, I don't know how much we're supposed to talk about the 12 step stuff here, but you know, it doesn't mean an alcoholic has to look like this certain type that I think, you know, we get this stigma that you have to be this rock bottom, like, you know, in trouble with the law and jail multiple times, like deadbeat, no job. Like it looks like X, Y, and Z. And that can keep people from getting help when really if alcohol is a problem in your life in any capacity, even if it's, you know, what it started for me was just getting in fights with people pretty consistently that I really cared about. And I would be, and then I, you know, come up the next day, come back to and be like, Oh my gosh, what was that? And I, people be mad at me. And, you know, that was probably enough for me to stop drinking right there. But because it didn't look like bankruptcy and jail, I thought I didn't have a problem. So my the one piece I'd say is if you think alcohol is a problem, if you think drugs are a problem, it's a good time to just check it out, you know, and just be open to whatever you can here. And I want to ask you one other question. Now, is, for you, was it a family disease? Did you have it anywhere in your family tree? Or were you the first person in your family that had a problem with alcohol? Um, I was not the first person, actually. I think I'm the fourth generation of addiction on my mother's side. And my father had it as well. You know, the whole, it's really interesting, the whole like nature versus nurture argument, because really, if you end up looking at all the science behind it, it still is 50-50. You still have just as many people who are the first person to get it as you know, there are hereditary indicators, but, you know, with our treatment program, we really come from a philosophy that it's actually trauma that's at the root of addiction Mm -hmm. and people have different conceptions of trauma. This is another one where people can say, oh, well, you know, I haven't seen anybody die or, you know, I haven't been held up at gunpoint, so I don't have any trauma. But what we say these days is that there's two types of trauma, big T trauma and little T trauma. And that for a lot of people, 
since we all have different levels of like innate resiliency of what we can cope with when it comes to trauma, somebody, for one person, their parents could get divorced and that's enough for them to never be able to manage with any other stressors. It's like they've hit their limit. They don't have any coping skills. So that's it. And that's enough for them to be driven into drugs and alcohol and then become addicted to them. But for other people, you know, they can go through something horrific like the Holocaust, like Viktor Frankl, and appear to be pretty well adjusted. So that's really what I happen to see as the common thread and why I do think 12-step is so helpful because oftentimes with our traumas, if they're little T traumas, we can just kind of justify them away and say, oh, you know, well, there are starving people all over the world. Like my problem isn't that big of a problem. And then we don't address it because we try to write it off. We try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And all the meanwhile, that trauma is still festering inside of us and we aren't doing anything to help make it better. Um, and then there are people who have gone through really horrific things and they think nobody can relate. And I will never be able to talk about this. I'll never be able to have anybody who understands and so the only way that they know how to cope in both situations is with a substance. It's self-medication. I love that because people do seem to think that trauma has to mean like I was fighting in World War II or, you know, I was on the lines of some sort of um, war and that's the only people that can, can, can have trauma, right? If I have right. a little T, like you just described it, it's not validated. It's not worth it. I really don't have trauma, correct? If that's what you just yeah, that's right. And I, and if you think about it, it's like you have a certain level of resilience uh, that you're, and it's different because part of that is innate and part of that is whatever kind of emotional skills that you've been given, you know, through your parents or your school or whatever, which for most people is not much. I mean, we aren't a very emotionally intelligent culture and I hate to, I'm not trying to be mean, but that's just a fact. Like we don't learn really about that much about our emotions, or at least I didn't when I was growing up. And I know a lot of people in my generation feel the same way. It was worse with our parents for sure. Um, and then worse and worse all the way back. But, you know, I think, since we don't have any skills, then we can have a series of a few little T traumas. We can be bullied in school. Our parents can get divorced. We can have to move across the country and we can say to ourselves, oh, those aren't that bad, but really those are all pretty traumatic situations for people to have to go through. And if you don't have any way of processing that and, and going through it with any healthy coping skills, then eventually you're going to reach your limit of like, I just can't take any more tough things in my life and I need something to make me feel better. And that's, you know, for a person like me, once I feel how alcohol, what it does in my body and that I can have some relief for all that stuff that I've been carrying around that I can't get rid of. Why wouldn't I want to just do that all the time? It makes me feel better. But what we don't realize when we get into those places with drugs and alcohol is that we can have the results that we're looking for without the consequences. If we're willing to do the hard work to get to the place where we get the same things that we loved from drugs and alcohol on a permanent basis that don't go away, that don't create additional problems that mount up as a result. It's like, we don't have to take that shortcut anymore. Uh, but I think people just, they don't, they haven't known any other solution 
besides drugs and alcohol. And then once they find it, you know, much like me, that was the case with me. I was like, Oh, I'm going to keep this going. This is amazing. Oh my gosh. This has been wonderful, Holly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. What an awesome show. It was awesome. I mean, you had so many, so many great and so much great advice and so, so much wisdom and I loved everything. Thank you so much for your time. And this will be up on Thursday and I can't wait. And um, I hope you stay healthy during this crazy time. And thank you again. And I wish you all the best. Yes, I wish you the best too. I'd love to come to your meeting. So give me that info, please. I will. I will, te- I will send it. I'll text it to you. I'll text you the info. Okay, and, I love um, it. All right, awesome. Well, until next week, all of the listeners, keep getting busy living so Take care. Thanks again, Holly. Thank you. Bye.